Hi, I'm Liz Solar. Welcome to Embark and part two of my conversation with filmmaker Ariel Noble. Ariel founded Legacy Connection Films in 2005, where she produces broadcast quality documentary films for families throughout the world. Ariel has channeled her lifelong passion for story into helping families connect in deeper ways. Throughout her career, she has mastered the art of interviewing, connecting with all generations, and purposefully listening to families so intently that it can have revolutionary impacts. Ariel won Best Documentary 2019 at the Border Scene Film Festival in New Mexico for her documentary film, Belonging in the USA, the story of Michael D. McCarty. The film is the first in a series of three and has screened at film festivals and other events around the world. Ariel was named to the Independent Magazine's 10 Filmmakers to Watch in 2018. She has won a Hugo Television Award for her six-part public television series, Belonging in Boulder, Unexpected Stories from Your Neighbors. She also recently launched her own podcast called Belonging in the USA, Stories from Our Neighbors. In part one of our conversation on Embark, Ariel talked about her move to Argentina with her husband and daughter and what that has to do with her own sense of belonging. She also talked about the work she does documenting family through her legacy film production company and her career as writer, producer, and actor. We pick up the conversation this week with some thoughts about Ariel's move from in front of the camera to behind the camera. But first, some thoughts about revolutionary listening. When I think about what I, I talk about revolutionary listening a lot, what I, what I really am talking about is that deep listening that good actors know how to do. And that's what we're trained to do as actors. We're trained to listen with our entire bodies, mind, spirit, soul, and to read and study character. And um, I mean, studying acting and theater and film and all those things, it's the study of being human. And so I feel like I'm constantly reveling in how simple, I mean, I've been studying theater since I was a young child, nine, and all of that all those decades of study have led me to this work I'm able to do now where I can really empathize and sit in someone, let's quote unquote, a villain, even a villain's shoes and find empathy and humanity in them, because that's what an actor has to do. What was your impulse to get from being maybe in front of a camera or being on stage to actually being behind that camera and helping people tell their stories? I've never answered this way, but I'm going to say right now what's coming to me is a combination of realism and control issues. (laughs) All right. Could you take a seat on that sofa and we'll talk more about this? Um, I would say the realism part is just, you know, well, okay. I was, uh, I had met my husband uh, when I was 23 and I was still doing the audition thing and I was going to all these auditions and I was wearing mini skirts and makeup and all these things I don't naturally do as me when I'm playing myself the role of myself and my husband I remember he took me to some audition downtown in Chicago and was waiting for me outside we were not married yet and I came out and I remember the audition because it was like this horde of I'm not exaggerating maybe 15 men and me and it was just, they were, I feel like they were like literally in a circle around me. Now I can't remember if that was a true thing that happened or a nightmare that I mm-hmm. had, but it's, you know, one in the same. And I came out of this thing and my husband's like, you don't seem really happy. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And oh my gosh, Liz, I was so angry that he was noticing 
this thing that I was not really happy with. It had been my lifelong dream, right? It was like, oh, what do you mean? I studied this. I wanted to do this. Of course I'm doing this. Of course this is my thing. I'm going to be a movie star. And then reality hits of sort of like, I never wanted, what I wanted to do and I knew from a young age was to make people feel alive with whatever I do, to make people feel their feelings, to make people feel seen and heard. And I personally got that so much from being in theater and um, watching movies. I'm a movie-holic. I mean, I used to watch, I had my favorite movies, a lot of romantic comedies, I confess. And I would just watch them over and over whenever I needed to feel better or needed to cry. Or, you know, it was like they were my companions in so many ways, these movies. And so it was sort of a natural transition to say, I'm going to step behind the camera and start telling these stories. Although if I'm being totally honest, I think my bigger plan ultimately always has been to write, direct, and star in my own movies, a la people whose names I can no longer promote because they've done disgusting things. But some of my, you know, filmmaker idols from the past, comedians, um, that's kind of my big vision dream, which I plan to still do maybe in my 50s. Start now. I mean, my start, my writing has been, is what I'm focusing on in my 40s, I would say. My writing and honing my, um, how do we make these dramas of our human existence funny because I feel like if we can laugh at ourselves, we have, we've won. We're in our spirits. We are not living in the drama of, um, of our suffering because we know we're going to suffer. It's part of growing and being human, but can we laugh at that as it's, you know, not necessarily as it's happening, but like we said before the day after, right? What was funny about this? What did, what did I get from this that I can laugh at later? Well, sometimes laughter, even in the moment of tragedy, is not a bad thing. I'll share a quick story. My uncle had died several years ago, and half of my family is Irish, and they have that like dark black humor. It was a burial, and they're burying this uncle who's a dear uncle and my godfather. And I'm standing next to my aunt, who is like a matriarch, just a beautiful, stately woman. And she, I'm crying. And she pats me and she goes, there, there, honey, we can get you one of those holes too. And so it, (laughs) which tells you a lot about my psychology, but we have to kind of find that in the moment. It didn't make it any, it, it, it broke some tension. It observed some reality. Um, I I kind of bless that because Mm. I think we need humor. And I'll give you one more little gem from a former yoga teacher that, Humor is the through line to the divine. Oh my gosh. And I love that. I think about that all the time because we think of humor as something that's low. I think it's a really evolved thing to be a person with humor. It takes intelligence. It takes open heartedness. And we have to have the ability to laugh at ourselves because we're hilarious. (laughs) I think it's the highest gift that we have as humans. I think that being able to laugh and make other people laugh. I mean, I think the biggest privilege and honor in the world is to be able to be a comedian in a way and let let people experience joy because we don't do joy very well. We know how to do tragedy and suffering. Again, that's kind of our, you know, that's how the world keeps rolling. But to make ourselves feel good and to make ourselves feel um, like we can sort of step aside of our self-importance for a few minutes and just you know, look at it. That's what the great comedy does. So after I decided, you know, I'm not going to, maybe I'm not going to do the acting thing so much. I went to Second City and studied directing there. 
in Chicago. And so I, you know, had an intensive year of studying all things comedy Hmm. and directing there. And it was amazing. And then I kept teaching at Second City for years. So I have, you know, taught it as well. Um, I feel like it's a privilege just to even teach improv or comedy because again, it's giving people a space to explore the human condition, but with a lens of humor. That's just what I feel like the world needs more of. So you saw the the movie about Michael D. McCarty. Yes. My favorite thing about that is how funny it is. I mean, we're talking about a dude who has gone through really horrible things and had a real, I mean, the FBI literally trying to ruin his life. He's in the Black Panther movement. He is there the night Fred Hampton is killed and, and gets out of it. It's His life is just sort of this amazing, holy journey. It's a hero's journey for me. But I have watched it. I mean, I can't even tell you dozens of times. And I, I laugh my head off every time. Well, he laughs. I mean, everything he would say was punctuated by a big smile or laughter. He's just went like he's an ambassador. He's a citizen of the world. He walks around, he greets everybody. He's so filled with love. And I do believe that it's the storytellers of the world that are going to help heal us because we need to hear stories. For me, and I want to hear what your take on this is, but for me, a story is, you know, whether I write a story or listen to one, it makes me feel less alone in the world. It makes me feel like less of a freak. It's like, oh, that thing is out there and it happens. And it didn't happen the same way that it happens for me, but they have that feeling. And there's something very, I think, comforting and unifying about that. What's your take on what, 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 you know, on storytelling in general. And to you, what makes a good story? Wow. That's a big question. Do we have like four hours? (laughs) We may. (laughs) I'm clearing the deck. (laughs) I feel like that's something that I've been, again, that's another question because I grew up in Piven Theater in Evanston, Illinois with Byrne and Joyce Piven as my teachers. And Byrne has passed away. Joyce is, I think, 90 now. But they, it was story theater. That was the genre. And so from the age of nine, I've been exploring what is a story? What is a good story? How do we tell stories? What is the meaning of story? You know, all of this and analyzing and myths. And so it's like this huge lifelong pursuit for me as well. But what I've come to, you know, basically goes back to specificity, right? Is something we've always talked about, specificity and transformation, right? The more detailed a story is with your own honest, authentic response, human responses, I think, and what, you know, your perception, just full on out, no filter almost, the more I can resonate with it. Mm. Because I have those stories myself. And, you know, my work as a filmmaker, especially in my legacy, you know, all these films, the Belonging series is also my legacy film work. I'm just exploring the human family instead of individual families. And in that work, it's like, I feel like if we can heal by I've seen healing happen by people listening deeply to other people's stories. I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. And it's like a film or a theater or a book, like it gives you that space, a container to really sit and take something in. Like we are primed as audience members, actually. Like we know how to do it for the most part. It's something you kind of start learning as a young kid in our society. So you can take in, even in these families I work with, you can take in your mother's story of her own journey through the world, because it's in this container of this film, you sort of move away. One of my intuitive teachers, Sonia Choquette, talks about relating to people soul to soul rather than role to role. Mm. And I think that's what story can do for us also. It's, 
you know, my mantra for my business is from soul to screen. I am not actually that tied to or interested in the narrative storyline. That's why I don't call it, it's not really biography because first of all, our story is completely subjective. It's, you know, the telling of a story is so subjective. There's no unbiased storytelling. I don't really think there can be, but I do think that it's the lens that we use and the frames that we place. And when you look at your entire life as a journey, then there is going to be these nuggets and these kernels. And I think that part of a good story is like the questions that we're asking each other and ourselves. So to make a story happen, the process of that, obviously it looks different how, depending on how you do it, but how I do it, I start with a list of many, many questions that I'm going to have for this person I'm going to get the honor of sitting with and holding space for. And those questions end up being, you know, just a guidepost because really what happens in the space between us is, is part of the story, right? How am I able to hold space so that person's true soul and spirit shine through? And then the details of what happens are less important because once that spirit is on the surface, there's no way you could totally disagree with everything that person fundamentally stands for, but you're going to be captivated by their spirit. That's just the nature of being a human. So through Legacy Connections, which is your... Bread and butter. <laughs> okay, that too. But they're, they're films about families. And I'm thinking that it might be the matriarch or patriarch or somebody older in the family. And before they leave this earth, their story needs to be told, that their relatives want to understand them better, have a, a feeling of knowing them better. Do you ask questions of people and get an answer that nobody has ever heard? I mean, has like a secret come out, something that they... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So, and, and I just want to say, so I I would say, you know, my business is evolving as always. Um, and 16 years old in this month. I actually... Well, I may be telling part of what I'm doing, maybe telling the story of the matriarch or patriarch. I'm actually really focused on intergenerational dialogue and multi-generational storytelling. So I now only work with families who will allow me to interview and have access to at least three generations. So I talk to many generations. It's not just love it. tell me the story of your one life. It's what is the story of this family? Who are you? What do you mean to yourself and to each other? And what is your vision for the future? Not just what is your history? Both of those things seem important to me. And so, but yes, I mean, it's more, I wouldn't say that it's like, well, I get, I hear everything. <laughs> People tell me everything and I don't put it all in because I always say this is not an expose and I'm not, I mean, I'm here to bring more healing and um, generative dialogue than, you know, I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here in these films, but they're also not Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. But it's not like anything, if juicy things come up, let me put it this way, the the details may, the, the, the broad strokes probably are known, right? Like, let's say we know so-and-so was an alcoholic, but the details and how that felt and what it meant and what happened because of that may have never been talked about. So I always say I am not a therapist. I am lucky to have a great therapist and I've had many years of therapy, but I do think that it is therapeutic to tell your story and it's therapeutic to be a space holder of those stories. So I've witnessed the joy and the sort of relief. It's like this letting go. I would I can tell this story. There was a woman whose mother had died. She's since passed away. Oh, I love this woman. Her mother had died when she was a very young girl, like I think seven, eight. 
she was in her 80s when I interviewed her. Her granddaughter hired me because early on in my business, one of my first clients, and I was going to drive from Chicago to another big city in another state to interview this couple. And he was a World War II vet. I was so excited. They just seemed great. Well, she kept putting it off and putting it off. She would not meet with me. I talked to her on the phone once. She was all nice, but she, I knew she had never talked about her mother's death with anyone. It was just one of those facts that was known in the family, but had never been sort of pushed more into. And when I finally got her to agree, which took several months, and I finally went and spent the weekend with them, it was basically first interview, we get to that story. And she just, I mean, I think it changed her the rest of her life. She just melted and open and just became this, she had been a very guarded, fearful person, at least with me, but maybe in general, and it just sort of melted something to be able to release that story and tell it and tell her perspective and how, you know, scared she was. And I think it was like she came home from school and found her mom kind of thing, you know, very traumatic. And to release that story um, and know, you know, when people are telling me stories, they know it's not just from my ears. They know they're talking to all the other people. And they also know they're talking to the future, people who don't even exist. And so it's a sacred conversation that I'm hosting. It's the vulnerability that people get to see us, not as, you know, that role, but as that fully formed human being, which as I get older, I I appreciate. Yes. And I've lost both my parents in the last few years, but as they grew older and I could see them because it doesn't matter how far you get in life, you still see parents, siblings, whatever, in a certain light. And I was really able to say, oh, huh, they actually desired something or they had an actual disappointment in life, just being able to accept that made me forgive a lot of things that I was disgruntled about in my life, the things that I thought I got or didn't get. And and, and it made it actually a really forgiving place. And it kind of all that remains is love, not to get all goopy about it, but... Oh, but that's beautiful. Thank you. I I wanted to know, because most of us do not have a camera or a microphone, and we are not natural writers. What's a good way for us to start telling our story to individuals or start that dialogue that acknowledges people and, and does witness and witnesses other stories so that we can start to make those bridges? Great question. Well, I would. the first thing that's coming to mind is actually just that everybody, every human on this planet should do the artist's way. It's the Julia Cameron book. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And it's an it's a 12-week um, recovery program for basically closeted artists, which basically we all are. Because as human beings, part of being human is being creative and having this incredible imagination. So whether you're, you know, that artist is like a dirty word in so many families and cultures and communities. But at our core, we all have something creative about us. Um, and that could be cooking. It could be writing, it could be painting. There's so many ways to express that creativity. But I would say a huge part of the problem in the world and a huge portion of our pain is in the pushing down, trying to push away that impulse. And so I think the first dialogue we all have to create is with ourselves and the artist way really facilitates that. I've done it many, I've done it more than once over the last 20 some years. And it's an incredibly rich, I've recommended it to other people who have told me and written back saying it's transformed their lives. So I really recommend that book and it's, you know, 12 bucks and <laughs> going to change your life. So for a dollar a week, I mean, come on, you can't lose. You just have to commit to yourself. And then the other thing I would say, as far as 
person to person, I don't, I mean, I don't do small talk. I just, I've never been good at it. That's part of why I probably felt like I didn't belong. So I know I'm a unique case, but I know there's other people like me. And I would say, however you are, whether you're extroverted, introverted, somewhere in between, finding one, two people, and it could be a therapist, or it could be just a really great friend where you can practice this revolutionary listening, um, holding space for one another, being what I call a big ear, Hmm. and letting yourself just get fully, fully enthralled and absorbed in another person's story, um, and really just being there. I have so many amazing I would say mostly women, but there's definitely some men in my life too who can do this, including my husband, who can just witness me and bear witness and hold space for whatever is being born in me because we're always birthing something. And that's part of our creativity. We need those people to witness us so that we can witness ourselves sometimes and see how we're growing. And, And part of that witnessing process is storytelling, right? That's the ancient art of storytelling. We sit around the fire and we make meaning through our stories. And so we just have to, it's, it's like costs nothing unless you're doing therapy, right? Which can often be free. And it's just so natural. It's such a natural impulse. And I think if we were just allow ourselves, I mean, most of my life is spent either in just joy and play with my family in deep, silent um, reflection or in deep, deep revelation worthy conversation. That's where I want to live. And music too. Music's got to be in there it's a, and dance, but I could go on and on. But there's, there's, there's this place where we have to give our spirits the chance to come out. And I feel like story is a great, not just great, it's a necessary place for that to happen. Ariel, it's always an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. If people want to connect to you, how do they do that? Well, we have, I have several websites, but I would say belongingintheusa.com. You can reach out there if you want to um, join our mailing list. You, I write very sporadic newsletters, which people say they love. Um, And I also, then you can find out about screenings that we have, which we will have more on Zoom in the coming year. And I also just launched my own podcast, Belonging in the USA, the podcast, where you can get that at any podcast streaming place. And if you, if your listeners, you know, would like to follow it and do all those things, I would much appreciate. And, you know, I also have my Legacy Connections Films website, where if anybody is interested in that aspect of my work, you can also Um, directly reach out and even schedule time on my calendar from that website. So LegacyConnectionsFilms.com. Excellent. So I I almost buried the lead with your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So so all the best with the podcast, all the best with the move. It's a big one. And all the best with the stories. Keep them coming. Thank you. And I want to say, I want to leave your listeners with one last thing, which is this thing that came, it came to me and maybe someone else, maybe I heard it on a podcast, who knows, but I walk around the world remembering, reminding myself that everyone I'm crossing paths with is probably most likely grieving and celebrating something at that very moment. And just reminding myself of that helps me to show up and make eye contact and smile and just witness them even if it's a brief second, just to remember that we have this shared humanity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ariel Nobile. Thanks, Liz. Check out Ariel's podcast, Belonging in the USA, and see more about her documentary work of the same name, as well as her work with Legacy Films. Check out her social media and website links in this episode's liner notes. If you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend, share it on social media, and subscribe. Get in touch with comments and story suggestions 
at liz at embarkthepodcast.com. Next week, social worker and coach Ellie Lane shares insights not just on how we plan our next moves, but how to set boundaries to successfully achieve what's most important to us. Look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, thanks for listening.